Okay. Well, today um, we are going to finish our worst series on worship. <laughs> I thought there'd be like, your God, thank you. Or I don't know what, but we've been going for a long time talking about worship, and we could, we, we have not in any way covered everything. Um, but just felt like this was something the Lord wanted to press into for a long time. Wasn't Israel's message helpful last week about feeling it, not feeling it? You know, how'd you like it? Feeling it? Just be cool. I love that. That was good. Oh, man, I just, okay, I got to embarrass somebody else. Okay. Sitting right over here is, used to be just Kevin Sutherland. Now it's Dr. Kevin Sutherland as of last week. I actually think who needs more credit is his wife, Chanda, for surviving. (laughs) PhD in New Testament for you theology students. His guy is Craig Keener, who wrote the big thing on Acts. So this is a legit New Testament scholar. Ask him anything about Diogenes Laertius, and he'll tell you it. He's one of the world's experts. Congratulations. So proud of you. So back to worship. If you're wondering why I'm standing here, I work here with the other people that came up here. We're some of the pastors. We have a team of pastors we work through. My name's Guile. We said happy birthday to you, Nydia, while you were gone. So welcome back. Yeah. So we wanted to go after this whole worship thing. Why? And it's because what we found is we humans are made to worship. Whether we try to or not, we're worshiping stuff. We're worshiping stuff. And the, the main problem of humanity in Romans 1 tells us is it gives basically, Paul summarizes all of history in the gospel by saying our biggest problem is that we've worshipped creatures rather than the creator. We've worshipped stuff, we've misplaced our worship, and it's unraveled everything. Rich Faust talked about it when he was baptizing his son. He said it well, you know, when we sinned, we kind of messed everything up. Our sin is to worship something other than God himself. And so we want, we want the Lord to address us because we still have that tendency and that drive to worship and we can still get confused about what to worship. Okay, that felt heavy and awesome. I love that. So we want to become near and like Jesus. That's what we say our vision is, to become near and like Jesus. When it comes to worship, Jesus is the true worshiper. Now, what does that mean? We're going to talk about that a little bit in a minute. But we want Jesus to define and shape our worship. So what we've done is we've taken this one verse, and I want to say we've probably gone 14 weeks on this one verse. So the next verse will be just a mere 12, you know. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so we've, we've attacked this thing. We've used the whole of Scripture as this as kind of a hinge point to then ask, why do we worship? What do we worship? How do we worship? Who, when, and where? And here's where we landed. And the method to madness here is, is I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. I like repetition. Hopefully, some of these things we will remember. So let's, let's do a little test. Okay, so anybody want to say, why do we worship? Anybody remember? 
Come on, God is glorious. Thank you. God is glorious. Worship is the reasonable response to seeing God's glory. When we talk about glory, it's hard to define because it's large. It has to do with the weight of God's presence, the the overwhelmingness of his being, the beauty and tenderness of this God. That our normal response is to say, you're glorious. You're incredible. So what is it? What is worship? Yes, thank you. This is so great. Thank you for carrying the team, the two of you. Appreciate that. It's glorifying God. It's embodying and declaring God's glory. And when we say embody, humanity was made to be able to reflect to all of creation how beautiful God is. We're made in the image of God, we see in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So then we reflect back to God how beautiful and to all of creation, how beautiful God is. And not only in just in our being, but in our doing, we declare that God is glorious by looking at him in response. But there's a problem. Sin has, has deformed the image of God in us. It's, it's, it's misshapen it. So that we don't reflect the glory of God in the ways that, that he actually is. That God is loving and kind and forgiving and just all at the same time. And so for us fallen people, worshiping, worship is both glorifying God and being transformed into the image of Jesus. Being restored to be able to embody and declare God's glory. It, 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 it's, so, it's such a relief to know, by the way, the gospel, this good news is a relief that we cannot fix ourselves so the pressure's off. We cannot fix ourselves. Only God can restore us to his image. And yes, is there effort? Yes, but it's effort in response to the actions that Jesus did and empowered by him, by the Spirit. See? So, so, so it's surfing with the Spirit. Does that make sense? For all you Oklahoma surfers. <laughs> if you've ever been out in the ocean, if you've not, you've not experienced this, but you, you can't body surf unless there's a wave. See? Right? You do it, you just... You wait for the wave and you join the wave and it takes you in. And that's, that's, our, that's our effort is to participate with God's work in our life that he does through Jesus by the Spirit. It's such good news. It's such good news. So how do we worship? Anybody remember? Oh, come on. We got some competition going. I can feel it. We may have candy for those who say it first. Sacrifice. It's the surrender of my entire existence to God's glory. That's wow. That, that's everything. But, but we talked about it. Yeah, it's just saying this is your worship. That, that I exist is to glorify you. Who do we worship? Thank you. <laughs> yes. Well done. Well done. Come on. I see that. Okay. Yeah, God alone. God alone. Nothing else is worthy of our worship. And in fact, as we ever realize, when we worship other things, worship forms us. We become, formed, we become conformed to the image of whatever we worship. 
We become the shape of it. And so if life is being deformed, there might be part of me that isn't worshiping Jesus. Or it's a version of Jesus that's not actually Jesus. So, where do we worship? Yes! I love this. It's making me so happy. In our bodies. We worship in our bodies. Why do we worship in our bodies? Come on, Ed Ladner. Give it to me. Our bodies are a temple. So we saw this history that a temple is a place where God dwells because God's so infinite to be able to, uh, for us to comprehend him. He, he limits himself at these times and places in a temple. And a temple is a place where God dwells and he is worshipped. And through Jesus, he actually makes our bodies the place that he dwells. And so wherever we're in our bodies, we worship. We can worship everywhere. There's another place we worship. I heard it. Thank you. Yes, in Christ's body. Scriptures say that this body is all of us together, that Christ's body is the location, the temple, so that we, when we're together, something unique happens. I always like to say, I remember I'd I'd be hard on myself a little bit to say, I feel more like worshiping or worshiping differently with all these people than when I do by myself. Am I being fake? No, you're being in the body. There's something that only happens when we're together. We're we're rugged individualists, so it's important that we do it individually. But there's a lift. There's something else that happens when we're together. By design, God has made us that way. So just, just roll with it. If you're more excited, get more excited. That's right. Do it. Okay, when? <laughs> this is so fun. I love this. Anytime, yeah. Because basically, anytime you find yourself in your body, you can worship. <laughs> and then someone said, at set times and rhythms together, because we don't all end up together without setting a time to be together, right? It's just so, so we see throughout scripture and church history that there's these regular times that we come together that's absolutely critical that we do with the people of God. Because something happens where we're in proximity to the people of God that can't happen in any other context. So, so that was kind of the summary of the whole, the whole thing. And so the one thing we never dressed uh, of these original reasons why we're doing the worship series is this last part here of we want to become near and like Jesus because Jesus is the true worshiper. We want him to define and shape our worship. And here's what's so critical about this last piece, this last little key I'll give to you is that is I believe it is the key to true worship. So of all the things we've talked about, this is the, if this key isn't in place, we're, we're going to actually miss true worship. You follow me on that? Okay. So what I'm going to do we're going to say, Jesus, the true worshiper, defines our worship. How's that ca- the case? I'm just going to go back through that grid that I just showed you and just see how Jesus applies to each of these. And I'm sure some of you could just wait ahead of me, which is awesome. Makes my job easier. But I guess if you want to shout out answers, you can. But this will be interesting. I, I don't know. So we said, why do we worship? It's because God is glorious. Worship is the reasonable response to God's glory. So how does Jesus figure into that whole thing of G- worship being the reasonable response to God's glory? 
And so this is Jesus praying his last prayer um, in the garden with his guys. And he prays, Father, the hour has come. Will you glorify your son that your son may glorify you? I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And Jesus ends his prayer saying, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. And we talked about this, this, this stunning thing of God being Trinity. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons, one God. You'll never get your noodle wrapped around that one. If, and that's one of the reasons I believe in this God. is because he's above me. But we see through Jesus' language here that eternally in the Trinity, the Father is loving the Son and glorifying Him through the Holy Spirit. And the Son, in response, is giving glory to the Father. This is what's happening all the time. This is why when we're made in God's image, it's normal for us to worship. Because we see from eternal, Jesus himself is the eternal response to God's glory. Jesus is always in this place of worship, of going, Father, you're awesome. You're beautiful. And Son, you're, I love you. And the Spirit's coming back and forth and, and, and communicating that love and affection and glory. Eternally. So, so Jesus is the eternal response to God's glory. We say what worship is, is glorifying God. It's embodying and declaring God's glory. Well, we see how Jesus figures into that. It's pretty clear that Jesus, the Son, the writer of Hebrews says, He's the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being. One, one ancient writer said this way, as you imagine that there's the sun and Jesus is the rays blowing off of that sun. He's the radiance of God's glory. Jesus, uh, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory, the radiance of the knowledge of God's glory, where is it seen? In the face of Jesus. So we know that Jesus himself, he perfectly embodies and declares God's glory. Just to look at Jesus is to look at the glory of God. You know, we see that in like John 1, 14, and we have seen his glory in the John 1, 18 the only person who's seen the Father is Jesus, who's communicated that very glory to us. So Jesus perfectly embodies and declares God's glory. We said the other thing is to become like Jesus, and Jesus has already done that. Okay, that was supposed to be a joke, but it was like, really? Um, how we worship through sacrifice the surrender of my entire existence to God's glory. Now, here's something stunning to think about. How does Jesus figure into that? God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding 
of his blood. We talked about that this worship in the presence of God, as we were instructed in, his, in the history of Israel, is this tabernacle and this temple where to approach the holy God. We have this sacrifice. And then Paul says, you know, uh, excuse me, the writer of Hebrews says that that tabernacle is actually a copy of what's actually happening in heaven. That there's an eternal tabernacle in heaven. And that Jesus appeared once for all at the culmination of ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. So think about this for a second. That father and son have eternally been returning. He's been returning the glory to the father eternally by the Holy Spirit. He becomes one of us in the incarnation. Lives this life in his highest act of worship is to sacrifice his life to the father. This is why we say Jesus is the true worshiper. He's the one who eternally is returning the glory to the Father. And that at this moment gives away his life to the Father in worship. Who do we worship? Well, God alone. Nothing else is worthy of a worship. This is so critical, and I'm going to expand on this a little bit more but at the end. But... Nothing else is worthy of worship. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The simple way to say this, if you want to know what God is like, you have to look at Jesus. That is is the declaration of the Christian faith. We, We strongly hold to all the truth of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and we see God in creation. We see God at all these different places. But unless you look through Jesus, you're not seeing God accurately. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. It's pretty unambiguous, okay? All right. Jesus reveals the God worthy of worship. Where do we worship? Well, we said in our bodies, which means we can worship everywhere. So how does Jesus figure into that? Well, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You might remember that made his dwelling that, that word in the Greek is the same word used in the Greek Old Testament for set up tabernacle. Jesus became the tabernacle, became the location of God's presence where God is worshipped. So in other words, Jesus became the temple itself. So Jesus' body is the temple, but that's not all that happened. Paul says this, don't you know that your bodies, you those who follow Jesus are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you receive from God. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So Jesus' body is the temple that makes our bodies temples. Do you know worship is impossible apart from Jesus? Worship apart from Jesus is impossible. you see why this is the key to worship? There's no possibility to worship apart from Jesus because he makes it possible. He makes our bodies temples. And then in Christ's body, that's where we worship together. Well, it was fascinating here. This is amazing. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, Paul says, 
All its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized. We just saw baptized into one, by one spirit to do what? To form one body. This is what's crazy. Did you know Jesus' body is the location of the worshiping church? This just blows my mind. That somehow through the Holy Spirit, Jesus' body is right here. It's beyond metaphor. You know what I'm saying? It's a, you know, just saying a body of people. Somehow right here is Jesus' body. You want to know where Jesus is? Here he is. I, I, I don't even fully get it. I know the Holy Spirit's in all of us. He's uniting. Our, I, I don't fully get it. But we are the location of Jesus' body right now. Whoa. When do we worship? Well, anytime we said we find ourselves in our bodies. So, you know, the temple, it, right, is wherever God's located and he's worshiped. And Jesus said this, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And then Paul says this. I love this prayer. He says, I pray for the Ephesian Christians that out of his glorious riches, he'll strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So the spirit inside of us so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Did you know Jesus lives in us through the Spirit? So, where do I worship? When, when do I worship? I, whenever, I worship whenever Jesus is with me. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be a joke, but <laughs> thanks for helping me. It was just compassion. Whenever Jesus is with me, I can worship. He's profound. Oh, my goodness. All these instructions that we have over and over to Joshua. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm with you. You don't have to fear the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because I'm with you. He's always with us, so we can always worship him wherever we are, whenever we are. And in rhythms together, in Christ's body, Jesus said this really simply. Whenever two or three gather in my name. In other words... I'm the center. I'm why they're gathering. I'm actually there. So we worship whenever Jesus is with us. It makes it pretty great, right? Anytime, anywhere. So this is what we mean by Jesus is the true worshiper who defines our worship. None of this is possible apart from Jesus. Uh, Another way to say it. Jesus is the true worshiper who defines a worship. Another way you could say is Jesus is both the object and the model of our worship. He's the object and the model. And if you don't like that, you can just say this. Jesus reveals everything we need to know about worship. This is what I love about this. If you're like, I can't remember all those things, just those people on the fringes do. All you need to remember is Jesus if you want to know about worship. Who Jesus is and what he does will instruct us how to worship. Does that make sense? So let me give you an example, a practice of how this works out in practical life. Therefore, holy and brothers and sisters. So the whole letter to the Hebrews is about why Jesus is the best. That's really what it's about. The first about angels, compared to angels, compared to Moses, compared to the law, you know, then compared to the priesthood, compared to the previous covenant sacrifice, is Jesus is preeminent over all the whole song we just sang. 
So the writer of Hebrews says this, Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. So here's the way I think in practice and practically this works for worship. First of all, when we worship God, we need to be looking at Jesus. Why is that? It's not that you can't worship Father and Spirit, but Jesus is the lens through which we understand God. And if we don't understand God through the Jesus lens, we might be worshiping a different God. You know what I'm saying? We, we can all easily imagine a different God, right? A different God that he's going to be ticked if I don't worship, so I better get to it. A, di- a different God that's a vending machine that if I put in enough worship, then good things will finally start to happen for me. You know what I'm talking about? But Jesus is the filter. It's like God came running after me while I was still sinner and his enemy. He died for me. He died. I mean, didn't just say, here's a gift card. He's he's like giving everything away, even though I'm distracted and uninterested in him. That's the God I'm worshiping. Do you start to see, okay, I, I can start to see the glory of God when I look at Jesus. It's such a big deal. It's such a big deal. There's such a temptation, especially in a pluralistic culture that tries to get along with everybody to remove Jesus from the equation. Jesus is the one thing you can't and still be Christian. Does that make sense? Little Christ. Little followers of Christ. Jesus is the key to knowing who God is. He's the key to knowing who God is. So we, we can't budge from that or we're into something else. But here's the thing that's so fun about this. Jesus, in John 1, it says, is the word of God. It, it, and that, that word of God came and set up a tabernacle in a human body in front of us. Jesus is the clearest, tangible expression of who God is. In other words, he's the easiest one to understand of everything you see in the whole Bible. Does that make sense? That I, you, can, you can see stories that Jesus lived out. Like one of my favorites is Matthew 8.1 where Jesus preaches this killer sermon that's like the greatest ethical work in history. Matthew 5-7, through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. He comes down from the mountain and a guy comes up to him who is a leper, which he would have had to. It said huge crowds are following Jesus and he would have had to been saying, unclean. That was the law. You yell, I am unclean. Talk about feeling slightly socially awkward, right? Is you're in a large crowd saying, yelling, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. And he put, comes down to his knees in front of Jesus and he says, Master, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You know what Jesus does? He doesn't just say he's willing. He touches him. He puts his hand on this gooey, dirty dude that everybody knows I can't touch you or I'm going to get what you got. He says, I am willing. Be clean. In the middle of everybody thinking he's the guy, Jesus, that's the God we're worshiping. So one of the things I do practically in worship is I try to get to Jesus as quick as I can. (laughs) Does that make sense? Because 
if you're like me in a worship service, the thing most on my mind is me. And I know I'm not the most on your mind. You're the most on your mind, most likely. We're all kind of, you know, it is the funny thing, right, of being worried what others think. It's like, truth is, most of us are not being thought of. <laughs> We're all just thinking about ourselves for the most part, right? Um, I want to get to Jesus as quick as I can. So sometimes I'll just try to see his face or remember a story of Jesus. Like, just, just what kind of person is this Jesus? Imagine that picture in Revelation 1, right? Where Jesus shows up and his face is like the sun. And his eyes are like fire. His hair is like the streaming white stuff. And just epic, right? So epic that John passes out when he sees him. I'm like, come on, Jesus. I know I'd probably terrify, but will you show me yourself like that? So one of the things we have to do to be able to be actually worshiping well is just get familiar with Jesus. Just, it, it takes like three verses at a time. You just sit with three verses. What is this Jesus like? And so also, when I, anybody been distracted during a worship service? Yeah. You can't even raise your hands now because you didn't notice what I said. <laughs> what do you say? Some uh, distraction? Oh, yeah? Okay. <laughs> I get it. I am totally ADHD. My wife can tell you. I get it. I get it. But I try to bring myself, okay, okay, I'm wandering, bring myself back to Jesus. That doesn't mean we won't worship Father and Spirit, but again, the door in is Jesus. And he's the easiest one to tell what's going on with God. You know, there's some, have you noticed some passages in the Old Testament that are kind of confusing about God? Yeah, they're a little confusing. That's why we have this wonderful lens called Jesus. To say, this is where God was going. I got to look back at the Old Testament through Jesus to understand what's happening. Does that make sense? He's, he's the one who ultimately, the Bible project says it so well, that the scripture is a unified message all leading to Jesus. But we don't worship Jesus just in worship services. We do it in daily life, right? So here, further on in Hebrews, as, as basically the whole message of Hebrews is trying to say, hey, Jesus is the best. He's the one who's in charge. He's the one God spoke in the past through the prophets and the writings. But now he's spoken to us through his son. The end of this letter is don't, don't walk away from this. Here's the way you got to go. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, people have been trusting in God even though they didn't see Jesus yet. Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Did you know that you have a race marked out for you? Have you ever been to a cross-country meet? If, you, if you've ever been to one, they've they got to mark the course out because they're running into the forest, right? <laughs> I remember one of my kids came back completely covered head to toe in thick mud. Um, because there was a part that you were supposed to not go in the mud, and he ended up in the mud, and it, it looked pretty something when he came back. I won't tell you who. You can ask them. 
You have a race that God has actually marked out for you. It's a life he's imagined for you. It's that restored, embracing the glory of God in your being. But here's how we know how to run it. Through fixing our eyes on Jesus. What does that mean? Well, he's the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So here's how Jesus ran. In other words, he's our example. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. Follow me? We're in faith, trusting God. So let's follow this example. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Okay, so there's going to be some crosses. There's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some difficulty. But he didn't focus on that. He scorned its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's our example for how to worship God in our lives. We imitate Jesus. And I, I, I know we often hear that, you know, that the joy set before him was us. It's, it's not actually. It's the Father. See where he landed? He landed at the right hand of the throne of God. He's the eternal response to God's glory. He can't wait back to get back to his loving Father because then he can invite us as brothers and sisters to Dad. So, so if you're flagging in your faith, as the message translation says, if you're wondering how to worship, imitate Jesus. Well, how do we do that? You just got to get familiar with how he acted. How do you act in pressure situations? It's getting really pressure-filled at work. I have to thumb through the Gospels and take a look. See what he did. See if he stayed calm under pressure. <laughs> this, is, this is making sense? Okay. So... That's all I got. Is to look to Jesus to help define who God is, how to worship, and how to live. Let's stand together. We're going to pray this prayer. We've been praying throughout this, and then we're going to finish with our Oikast map prayer. So if you haven't read this before, please read it now so you can feel like you mean it when you pray it out loud. Let's pray this together. Father, in response to how much mercy you have given us, help us to offer to you our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. This will be our true and proper worship. Amen. Lord, I pray that you continue to reveal yourself, Jesus. So in John 16, that the Holy Spirit would be giving to us to be able to take from what is yours, Jesus, and give it to us, and that everything the Father has belongs to you. So Holy Spirit, will you continue to open our eyes to who Jesus is, that we can worship you with our whole sacrificial lives in spirit and truth. Now we're going to pray for oikos maps. If you don't know what that is, that oikos is a Greek word for household, that we just talk about the the relationships around us. One story I'd like to tell you just to encourage you, and we're going to be having a number of testimonies coming up in a few weeks of what God has done through oikos maps. There was a guy years ago that was on Roger Nix's oikos map. He was praying to know Jesus. His name was Javier Rivera.
Guys, today, Javier's wife baptized three children. So you don't know what the Lord's doing. This is so wonderful. You wonder if your life counts. Just pray for your Oikos map. You're in, man. You got more significance than you know what to do with. It's changing generations of lives. So let's bring to mind those people that may be far from God at the moment, that are in your, your network of relationships. I'd like to just, bring, if I can, bring their faces to mind. Yeah, Lord, I know that this causes you great joy that your bride will pray for new sons and daughters. Let's pray this together. Lord, I pray for the people in my life who are far from you. Deliver them from the evil one, bring them into your family, and help them to grow as your disciples. Amen. Is anybody here you want to get in on this and you've not done that before? Come up and talk to me and John or one of these guys to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. I want to do that with you. We love you guys. Have a wonderful week. Bless you.